Good morning, everybody. Welcome into a Tuesday. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for picking this radio program out of the basket of radio programs that you could pick from. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I also serve as Director of Public Affairs for the university, and I am the Director of the Office of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm currently Interim Pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church in Simpsonville. You're welcome to come join us 10.30 every Sunday morning. If you don't have a church home, come on down, worship with us. Uh, we'd be glad to have you, and you can hear me preach. Hear me what I do when I'm not pontificating about stuff in the news. I'm proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, um, Okay, quickly, his radio talk, 919-897, is ending its run on March 31st. Gary Miller's retiring station is going to take the two FM frequencies and basically turn them into music instead of talk radio. So this program, of course, is going to be affected. It's not going to be, you're not going to be able to find it here where you're finding it now, unless you're watching on Facebook Live. If you are, you're good. Uh, we're going to continue Facebook Live. Uh, what I'm going to do is I've got a website that's being built out. I got to see it yesterday. Um, it's in its um, the stage of development right now. It really looks good. I'm telling you, you're, you're going to like it, I think, when you see it. And it'll give you an opportunity to listen to the program from 7.30 to 8.30. I'm going to stream it live on the website. It's going to be drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. And, you you know, you, you don't go there now because there's nothing there. It's just a domain name where the website will be parked once it's finished. And we're hoping in the next couple of weeks because – March 31st is fast approaching. So on April 3rd, you should be able to listen live from 7.30 to 8.30, watch live on Facebook, and I'm trying to get set up on Rumbler. Uh, I just I, – I, uh, Rumble, excuse me. I just think that um, that's going to be a better venue for me than YouTube. And um, we're going to – we're just going to go merrily along. It's going to be called the, the new program, which is just going to be me doing what I'm doing. I'm only going to be doing it for an hour. It's going to be called – uh, Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. So uh, I'll be writing more. There'll be stuff up on the website you can look at, you can read. There'll be links uh, to South Carolina political news as well as things going on in the country. So I hope you'll join me and um, stay with the program. Uh, that that's uh, There'll be a podcast, of course. That will be uh, Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. You'll be able to download that for free. Uh, you can sign up for it. It'll come straight to your smart device, phone, tablet, whatever you use, and you can listen to it at your leisure. It'll be an hour long, uh, right at it, probably about 58, 59 minutes. And uh, so we hope you'll join us. All right. Uh, four Americans were assaulted and kidnapped at the Mexican border. Yep, you heard that right. Uh, Latvia McGee, uh, I think that's pronounced Latavia, Latavia McGee, uh, Shyed Woodard, Zendel Brown, and Eric James Williams were um, basically going from Brownsville into uh, Matamoros, Mexico. And not long after they crossed the border, they're in a white minivan with North Carolina plates 
And uh, shortly after they crossed the border, they were assaulted and kidnapped by Mexican, what is, what is believed to be Mexican cartel members. So that, uh, I mean, these are gunmen that uh, stopped their minivan. They, they basically blocked the road, yanked them out. I mean, three of the, of the people, the, the three guys were seen laying on the ground and they were being dragged uh, into a, a van with where the gunman were, had taken the young lady that was taken into custody. There was one female. It turns out that McGee and Woodard are cousins and they're friends of Brown and Williams and they were traveling to Mexico for medical procedures and medicine. McGee's... Um, mother has confirmed that she was going to Mexico for a medical procedure. So you can speculate as to what kind of medical procedure she maybe felt that she had to go to Mexico to have performed. We don't know what it was. And when when are we sending in the Navy SEALs to go get them? Well, um, so far, this has been the response of the United States government. They've announced that Mexican officials and U.S. officials— this is according to Ambassador Salazar to the U.S. government, that American and Mexican, uh, Mexican officials are working together to try to bring the four Americans home safely. The FBI has offered $50,000 reward for information leading to their return. And White House Press Secretary yesterday, Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, Jean said that President Biden is aware and has been informed. I, I, you know, I don't know why both of those things had to be in that sentence, but I guess we're just being sure here. But then she added that the president views Mexico as an important ally to the U.S. So there was no condemnation. There was no, at least that I've seen, the president coming out and saying this is an outrage. How how can this be that we have four American citizens that cross into Mexico and uh, they're attacked, uh, assaulted? dragged into vans and taken ca- uh, captive. I mean, that, that, that to me, uh, this is a pretty big deal. If you're trying to figure out sort of where this is located, Matamoros is in a part of Mexico that is, as we said, it's, it's when you, you'd go through Brownsville, Texas, you cross the border. Matamoros is on the southern bank of the Rio Grande River, and it's located in Tam. Let's see if I can pronounce this right. Um, Tamalapas, which is a Mexican state that's on the U.S. State Department do not travel list. And the reason that it's on there, oddly enough, is a risk of crime, assaults, and kidnapping. That's why they're, they're saying don't, don't go into this state in Mexico because the drug, drug cartels are battling out for territory. And as part of the battle... You may become a victim of crime, you may be assaulted, and you could be kidnapped, which is exactly what happened to these four people. Um, They're working on trying to get them home. It appears that they were mistaken for Haitian drug dealers. And that so this could be, they're saying now, Mexican officials believe it was a a case of mistaken identity, that uh, they thought they were going after four Haitians, and ended up with the wrong minivan. And once things got started, they just had to to continue them out. I mean, I suppose uh, they decided just to go ahead and kidnap these people. 
So hopefully the two governments can work together and we can get them back safely. But this is, this is all part and parcel of a, a terrible drug problem that we have. Uh, we've got a terrible fentanyl problem in the United States because we have an insecure, a non-secure, a porous, wide open, let's just be honest about what it is, southern border with Mexico, and it breeds this kind of violence when the drug cartels are pretty much running the show. You may remember back in January, you remember the story from Goshen, California? We had six family members, including a six-year-old baby, that were shot execution-style. Uh, the two that were arrested for the crime were reportedly members of one of the most notorious Mexican cartel-related gangs. So this is the kind of stuff that we can expect. I mean, according to security officials that work the area, people that have been in law enforcement in Mexico and the United States and are now advising people that are going into Mexico, they're telling people, don't go. And they're saying that this kind of activity is only going to increase because you've got a lot of these cartels that are trying to claim uh, their territory and different parts of the country and Americans just become collateral damage. So a, a fair warning. Um, you know, we need to pray for these four that they'll come home safely, that the American government, American officials working with Mexican officials will be able to extract them. I mean, there's nothing to gain for the cartel here, nothing, because these are not the people that they thought they were uh, abducting. These are American citizens and you would think that eventually, maybe, um, the United States would have a stronger response if they continue to hold these people for any length of time. Well, as you know, Tucker Carlson was given about 40,000 hours. Let me say that again. 40,000 hours of videotape from the January 6th incident. This is all the videotape that's available from that day from all of the cameras all of the different angles and this is this is video that was available to the January 6th committee the the folks that turned the January 6th committee into a an opportunity to bash republicans and to go after Donald Trump and to paint him as an insurrectionist um, it didn't they didn't turn up any kind of real news in fact we're finding out now, since this information has been released, that there were a lot of things that the January 6th committee put in their report and talked about that were just straight-up lies. And I know you're stunned that the government would lie to you, but you need to get used to it because it's becoming a more common occurrence. And, and believe me, it gives me no pleasure to say that. One of the things that keeps our constitutional republic together is the fact that we, we trust one another. We trust government agencies. We, when the FBI comes out and tells us these people are terrorists, we, we believe, well, they must be terrorists. Except now the FBI thinks that Orthodox Catholics are terrorists. The FBI thinks that moms and dads get concerned about the woke ideology that's coming out in school boards all over the country. They, the FBI thinks they're terrorists. So now when the FBI comes out and tells us it's a bunch of terrorists, we have to stop and ask ourselves, is, is this a political statement? Is it a lie ginned up by the Justice Department because they're trying to malign a certain group of people? And we have to ask ourselves, when it comes to January 6th, 
How many, you, you know, the lie is still out there that five people died. I mean, there's still some people saying that Officer Brian Sicknick was murdered on the day of the Capitol, whatever you want to call it, the Capitol protest. Uh, and we know, I mean, the New York Times was finally forced to print a retraction of a story that they stuck with for a long time, saying that he was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher and that later he died at the hospital. Brian Sicknick had a stroke after all of the events of January 6th. Unfortunately, I mean, he, 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 but, but he had a stroke and he died of, of, of the stroke what, from the circumstances surrounding the stroke. It had nothing to do with January 6th. So when you hear, you know, five Capitol Police officers died that day. Nope. No Capitol Police officers died that day. In fact, there's one person who died directly related to the January 6th protest, and that person was shot to death by a Capitol Police officer. Ashley Babbitt died when she tried to break through a barrier and was shot to death by a Capitol Police officer that was later exonerated and actually hailed as a hero. Now, the other four people that supposedly died that day, one of them, Brian Sicknick, we've already told you, that's it's been proven. In fact, the, when the medical report came out on Brian Sicknick, it said clearly that he died of natural causes, meaning he had a stroke and it took his life, unfortunately. But they, they turned, the left turned his death into some kind of um, memorial to the violence of January 6th, and it ended up having nothing to do with it. Now, the other people who died that day were people who were at the rally that suffered some kind of health emergency. They, they either, either had a stroke or a, or a heart attack, but it had nothing to do. When you hear five people died, in your mind, you immediately think, oh, here's a bunch of people in the Capitol, and they're a bunch of crazies, and they're a bunch of white supremacist right-wing protesters, and they're killing one another, or they're killing Capitol Police, or they're killing people in the Capitol that oppose them, or, or whatever your mind goes to. But you don't, unless it's explained to you, automatically think, Okay, let's see, people that died that day. Ashley Babbitt, shot by a Capitol Police officer. Brian Sicknick didn't die that day, died later because he had a stroke. Nothing to do with the January 6th. Okay, what about the other three? Well, like I said, various health emergencies that took their life tragically on the day of the January 6th protest. Had nothing to do with the protest. It happened on the day of the protest. So... Now that we're being, being able to see these hours, this 40,000 hours of video, we find out that the QAnon shaman, whose real name is Jacob Chansley, and he was formerly, I think, in the Navy, but it turns out, you know, he's the guy that was dressed in the, uh, he had the fur piece and carrying the spear and had the war paint on his face and had the big hat with the horns, the big fur hat with the horns, the buffalo hat. Um, when you watch the video, virtually every moment of his time inside the Capitol was caught on tape, and every moment shows that the Capitol Police never stopped him. In fact, they helped him. 
they took him to uh, a play. He wanted to go inside the the Capitol, where you know, inside the Senate. They helped him into the. They found a way to get him in the Senate. It shows two police officers escorting him to some doors that they couldn't get open, and so they turned around and left and escorted him to another set of doors where he was able to enter the Senate chamber, and he prayed in the Senate chamber, and they actually um, announced that he was going to pray before he prayed. It was either the Senate or the House chamber. I think it was the Senate chamber. Um, and so they, they sort of, I mean, it really does look when you watch this video, it looks like they're his tour guides. He walked right past six or seven Capitol police officers. He had two police officers with him and he walked in between six or seven others and they didn't try to slow him down. They didn't arrest him. I mean, if he was, you know, he's sitting in jail right now. He got sentenced to 41 months in prison. He pled guilty to obstructing an official proceeding. But you'd be hard-pressed to know that if you watch this footage. He's just walking around in there. So, you know, I you know, what do I think about that? I mean, it's obvious that things that happened on January 6 were exaggerated for political purposes. I'll give you another example. Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley. You may remember in the uh, hearings, uh, the January 6 hearings, they made a big deal about Josh Hawley, who was accused of being an instigator of the riot by inciting people to go into the Capitol by his rhetoric, and then they showed a video of him running down a hallway. I mean, it's actually a space like the, the video camera angle is looking down across the hallway. And then you've got this gap where somebody was coming down the hallway and they run into the opening between where the hallways intersect. And you see Josh Hawley running, carrying something, probably a, some not a briefcase, but but some kind of uh, portfolio under, under his arm. And he's running down the hallway. And when they announced this at the January 6th hearing, they made a big deal about how his rhetoric started the riot, and then he ran away like a coward, and they showed the video, and, and a whole bunch of people in there laughed seeing him running. They thought that was funny. He was, you know— that he was running down the hall. Well, when you watch the entire video, he was one of the last ones to cross in front of of that hall where those halls intersected. There were a lot of politicians, a lot of people. The police, the Capitol Police, were herding people down that hall and telling them to run, to get out. And there's large groups of them. They're moving, and, and all of them are running. And then at the very end, here's Josh Hawley running by himself. In fact, he was one of the last ones to leave. And because he wasn't up with the crowd, there was a moment when he crossed that intersection that he was by himself. If you look at the whole tape, it was just it was maybe a second or two that you you would have seen if they'd backed it up just a little bit, you would have seen other people running. But no, they wanted to make fun of Josh Haw Senator Hawley and they wanted to to accuse him of being a coward, and it's all a lie. 
it was a it was a production. You know, we told you the January six hearings were not hearings. They were tellings. It was a narrative that they constructed. They even hired a producer to produce a program that put out a particular point of view. There's never been a hearing like this in Washington before, and hopefully there'll never be another one because the whole thing was a sham. Another thing they did that they just lied about was Representative Barry Loudermilk from Georgia. They showed video of him walking around with a group of people that were taking pictures, and they accused him of doing reconnaissance. In other words, they said he was in the Capitol, and they were taking pictures of stairways. They were taking pictures of exits. They were, this is who they were. They were constituents from Georgia, because Representative Loudermilk is a representative from Georgia. They were his constituents. They came for a tour. He wasn't even in the Capitol. He was in the House office building, which is down the street. And all of the video that was taken was taken in the House office building. And it's Loudermilk with with a bunch of tourists, a bunch of his constituents who were in D.C. that wanted to see where his office was had nothing to do with the Capitol. And yet in the final report, now the the January 6th committee knew this. They've seen, they had, remember, they had possession of all these videos. And yet in their final report, even after seeing the video, they accused Congressman Loudermilk of being in collusion with these dangerous dangerous conspirators who were moms and dads and kids and people from his district in Georgia that were checking out his office building and had nothing to do with the Capitol. It was just a pack of lies that you were told by this committee. And if, I mean, if they were lying about this, what else were they lying about? They were lying about it all because it was a made-up narrative with a purpose. had nothing to do with getting to the truth of what happened. had everything to do with undermining Republicans and Donald Trump. That, that, that's what the whole thing was designed to do. And, of course, you know, Liz Cheney got defeated in Wyoming for her role, but then she got a really nice job teaching at the University of Virginia. So is, is there anybody going to pay a price for this? No. Because that's not what happens in Washington. People lie, and then they go on to get really nice jobs. It's very, I mean, it's very aggravating. You know, you cannot, that's why you, the American people have to know the truth about what's going on. Because it used to be, and I, I was one of the last ones, folks, and I'm not going to apologize for the fact that for a long time, I, I've defended or tried to defend what the government tells us because I was raised in an environment as a kid to respect the government, to respect law enforcement, to respect government officials, to look up to them. They're our leaders. We can depend on what the government tells us because they're not going to lie to their own people unless it's got something to do with top secret security or something we're hiding from our enemies. That's not true anymore. If it suits progressives, as, as I've told you before, the Marx, the Humanist Manifesto 
actually extols the virtue of lying as long as lying is made to advance the goals of Marxism. And that's what we see here. Um, by the way, Jacob Chansley, um, the Capitol Police say that they were trying to de-escalate the situation, that that's their explanation for that video, that they were walking him around trying to keep him calm so you know, because they were outnumbered and they were just trying to make sure that they didn't escalate. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It may if there were other people around Chansley, but when he walked with the two escorts that were taking him to find a door that was open to get him in the chamber, when when he when they walked past they walked past six or seven, they walked in between a group of Capitol Police officers. They could have taken him to, into custody immediately, slapped the cuff on, cuffs on him right there. Oh, well, that would have caused people to attack the police. Well. I mean, how how was it a de-escalation to allow somebody dressed the way he was? If you remember, I mean, I, we, we described him. He had the big buffalo hat on with the horns and his face paint and carrying some kind of, um, looked like a spear, and he had like a fur collar, all this stuff. I mean, he was weird if you've never seen the thing. So he's 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 walking around in there. And they're opening doors for him. I I don't understand how if if you're going to charge him with a crime, can, can so what what are you going to do about the Capitol Police that were allowing him access and allowing him to do the things that he was doing? I mean, I'm suggesting you charge them, but I'm suggesting that Chansley, who who pled guilty because I guess he believed that the the deck was the deck was stacked against him, that. You know, he. How can these police officers not be, in some manner, held accountable for not stopping his progress or for for not impeding his progress to get into the chamber? They opened the door for him. So, you know, I I just I, I just find that a little bit crazy. Now, let's get back to Brian Sicknick for a minute because some of the video. It demonstrates that the that the New York Times and other news organizations perpetuated the lie that Brian Sick Brian Sicknick was murdered. In fact, it's still if you hear news reports today, they they will say things like that Brian Sicknick died in the violence of January sixth. That's not true. Um, at the time that supposedly he had been hit by a fire extinguisher and was murdered in the Capitol, there's video of him shortly thereafter walking around. And then there's more video of him later in the day walking around. So the New York Times, went, the people that had this video knew that all of this was not true when they were were reporting it. Now, I'm not, I don't know when they saw the video. I can't sit here and tell you when the reporters that wrote the story about Brian Sicknick saw the video, but I know that it was a long time after January 6th that everybody finally confessed and said Brian Sicknick was not killed with a fire extinguisher. The medical examiner shows that he died of a stroke the day after the riots. That were not it was not associated with the riots. So, Williams on the phone. William, go ahead. Morning, Bean. Thanks for your show. Thank you. Um, 
uh, I like how you said earlier, which uh, I agree, I was raised the same way, where you're supposed to trust the government, and it's frustrating you see some of this stuff happen and how it was coordinated. I personally think a lot of this stuff was, wasn't conjured up the day of the event. I think they were already kind of planning, you know, for that. And, uh, but I was curious what you're talking about, like with the reporters and how, what makes them finally want to redact? I know your son's a reporter and, and I hold him in high regard because one, he's your son and it seems like he has good tennis yeah. shoulders, but you gotta be curious, uh, do the, like, like your situation where you're like, you kind of come to the truth moment where like they're lying to us. Are some of these reporters having that type of moment or do they just follow? I think a lot of them are just follow along with the narrative. And I'm just curious to get a little bit more well, insight from you on that. Yeah, aspect. William, thank you. I, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate the question. I, I think it's personal bias that when they, when they see a story that, you know, let's just say that there's there's a chatter or a rumor or a reporter picks up a lead somebody tells them that Brian Sicknick was hit with a fire extinguisher well normal a normal process would be if if you're a reporter you check that out i mean you go back and you check sources you you d- check and double check and you make sure that that's true before you go to press that is before you pick up a microphone or sit down at a keyboard you're you're you've assured yourself that the information that you're about to share is the truth they don't do that anymore they they have a bias they believe that oh yeah do I, could i believe that brian sicknick capitol police officer these are violent protesters armed protesters see that's another thing you always hear they were armed protesters that day going into the capitol what were they armed with? If you ask people, what 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 are you talking about? What they'll say the flags, the the flag the flagpoles, and yes, some of the protesters some turned violent and struck Capitol police officers with the flagpoles. But to describe them, what 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 do you think? See, this is the thing that the American people, when they hear armed protesters they think guns and knives and they they automatically think that everybody that went in that day was going in to do violence you it, it, if you were going to honestly report the news you would report that some of the protesters turned violent and struck capitol police uh, officers with the poles that they were carrying and tur- they turned them into weapons Okay, if I'm listening to that story, I'm going, okay, they didn't show up with guns and knives. They were carrying these flags, and then when they decided to rush the Capitol Police or to do what some of them that did turn violent, they took the the flagpoles and hit them. Now, Now I understand what actually happened, but I don't have a picture in my mind of hordes of people bearing, you know, nine millimeter semi automatic weapons going into the to the Capitol building. But that's a narrative that the news media wants to 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 perpetuate. It's a it's a picture they want to paint because it fits in their understanding of what they believe about Trump supporters and conservatives and Republicans in general. And it helps perpetuate that story. So let's get back to Brian Sicknick. So 
you you have you have a a report that Brian Sicknick was struck with um, a fire extinguisher. So before you check it out with hospital officials, before you before you do anything, you just publish that story. You publish it, and and then you leave it because once it's out there, you know no no news organization wants to have to issue a retraction. But once the facts become unavoidable, see, this is, you know, when you're asking me, why do they finally come back and, and come clean? Well, for one thing, that story fulfilled its purpose, okay? It added to the idea that this was a terrible, violent day where people were just being, um, you know, that people were being killed, including Officer Sicknick. So by the time the real story comes out, how many people see the retraction? How many people hear the truth? I mean, if you don't if you don't read conservative media, the New York Times retracted the story, but that's one time. How many times did they print a story saying that Brian Sicknick was killed? And then they just they retracted. Oops, sorry, our bad. He died of a stroke a day later. So I want you to listen to this clip from Tucker Carlson last night because it it talks about Brian Sicknick and how he was a person and how he didn't deserve to be used as a political prop and that his death was tragic, but it certainly didn't have anything to do with the Capitol riot directly. Several police officers in the meantime. But Brian Sicknick should not be reduced to a prop for the political ambitions of the Democratic Party. He was a human being. The facts of his life matter, including how he died. To this day, media accounts describe Sicknick as someone who was, quote, slain on January 6th. The video we reviewed proves that is a lie. Here is surveillance footage of Sicknick walking in the Capitol after he was supposedly murdered by the mob outside. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there just because we're, we're watching video. I mean, you can see they've got a little light circle around him, and he's walking around inside the Capitol after the time when it was reported that he was murdered. All right, one other thing that came to light last night. Look, I've I've never been a big fan of the Ray Epps story. I just I don't I, I understand that Ray Epps could have been some type of undercover uh, FBI informant or police officer in some capacity that was there for the purpose of sort of um, you know in in the minds of a lot of people he was there for the purpose purpose of instigating or pushing the riot portion of the protest but you because there is he is on video saying you have to go into the capitol he's telling people that i mean it's it's him there's no question he's with a group of people he's pointing down the street and he's saying you have to go into the capitol you've got to go into the capitol he said it twice well then later finally after the january 6th committee was pressured to interview him, he was interviewed, and he did send a text message to his nephew saying that he orchestrated the protest at the Capitol, that he helped orchestrate the protest. But he claims he never went into the Capitol, and there's no video evidence to contradict that. It's true that he never went into the Capitol on that day. But it it also is is true <laughs> that you know, he, he was involved in a broader scale than he admitted. All right, 
let's uh, we we need to take a break, but instead of doing that, we're just going to go ahead and go to uh, Congressman Timmons because I went a little bit long in that segment. Good morning, Congressman. I apologize for taking so long in dealing with this uh, Tucker Carlson video from last night. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Good morning, Doctor Green. Great to be with you. You know, I'm I'm stunned. We we've talked today a little bit, I, and I know I'm going to get off what we said we were going to talk about, but. You know, I, I just can't get over the fact that, as I said earlier, I was raised in an environment where my family taught me to be respectful of people in authority, to respect law enforcement, and, and I still do, by the way. I still have the highest regard for law enforcement. But to also believe things that we are told by the government. I mean, just when, if the government says this, unless they've got a national security reason to mislead or a national security reason to keep information quiet, then we can believe what the government's telling us. When you watch these videos, it's obvious that this January 6th hearing was a sham from the beginning and that they lied to the American people. I mean, how do we recover from something like that? We can't, we can't hold our culture together if we can't believe what's coming out of public officials' mouths. Dr. Green, I couldn't agree with you more. And honestly, I think this began with uh, the Obama administration. I think they really, um, the manner in which they operated uh, was with a complete disdain for the Constitution, with a complete disdain for the law. And, I mean, time after time, they did think they should not have done it. So the American people got sick of it, and then they sent Donald Trump to the White House. But the, the left, the left was so disgusted by President Trump that they then said, well, we're going to do whatever we need to do to, to not allow him to run our country. And so then they said, we're, we made all this progress with Obama because we did things we shouldn't have done. And the American people said, we're not doing that anymore. And so now they said, well, we're going to do absolutely anything we have to do to get control back. And it's all about power. And the Democrats uh, and their hatred of President Trump causes them to justify doing things that they would never ever have done. And they're well, doing it in the name of the, the good of mankind. And that's the kind of mentality that um, really gets you in a bad spot. When you think you know what's best for the world and you justify your actions uh, accordingly. You know, they, the January 6th committee accused Senator Josh Hawley of inciting, of inciting these people to turn violent and then showed a video of him running down a hallway, called him a coward, and had the gallery, the people that were watching that were present, laughing about the fact that he was running. If you look at the full video, there everybody was running down that hall. The Capitol Police were telling them to run. It wasn't just Hawley. It was presented as if it was just him. I mean, I, I couldn't believe I watched that last night, and I had to, I'll be honest, I had to rewind it and watch it again because I'm thinking to myself, they set this whole thing up so that they could call him a coward. Somebody who is a United States senator. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just unbelievable. So, um, all right, let me, let me get off of that for a second. Can, can, let me ask you this question. Can we now say for sure, can we stop saying that, that the fact that COVID-19 came out of a lab in Wuhan, can we just pretty much agree that that's what happened and stop talking about bats and wet markets and all of that? I, I believe we can. I think the only question now is, was it intentional or was it accidental? Yeah. And the, then the next question is, 
what you do, whether it was intentional or accidental. The Chinese government still has culpability. So how are they going to make this right? What are they going to do to, to, to compensate the rest of the world for their actions? I mean, even if it was an accident, the people in East Palestine are being uh, compensated because uh, a train accidentally fell off the rail. I mean, so they're going to get a whole bunch of money because of an accident. So if it was an accident, which, again, I'm not saying it was. This could have been intentional. Um, if it was an accident, what's our compensation? What, how, millions of lives lost globally. Um, I mean, again, I'm going to cut that number in 10% from what the actual number is. They're telling us a certain number of people that I'm like, when you have terminal cancer and you get COVID, like, that's a coin flip. Like, what are we excited about coin flip? Right. I don't think you can classify that as a as a, a COVID death. And I think we saw a lot of those games too. But we got to figure out how we're going to hold China accountable, and we got to do it quick. You know, uh, uh, let me ask you this. Do you think that the reason that all of this has been done to cover up the fact that uh, this laboratory in Wuhan was actually the source, I, I think it's two things. I think one— I think there are people who did not want the American people to blame China for this because they didn't want to escalate um, what was already a tense relationship with the Chinese. And I think the second thing is that Anthony Fauci, being the the face of, of COVID under the Trump administration and then into the Biden administration, they were doing the, the National Health Institute, their NIH, Institute for Health, they were doing gain-of-function research and funding it at that laboratory, and that very well could be why we had COVID-19 to start with. So they're trying to protect him, trying to protect the lie that he said that they weren't doing gain-of-function, but we now know for sure that they were. Is that the motivating factors behind trying to cover this whole thing up? Dr. I think it's just easier to spend $7 trillion. $7 trillion. Yeah. When it's just uh, a bat in a wet market. Like, you know, it, if it was an actual uh, act of war, act of terrorism, accident, whatever you're going to call it. I just think, I mean, all the money that they've spent on these ridiculous policies, um, they're doing it for different reasons. And if, if it's just a global pandemic that happens, you're going to spend money differently. That's my view. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, let, let me move on to another topic. You know, we've had now the kidnap, the assault and kidnapping of four Americans who were going from Brownsville, Texas, into Mexico. And just shortly after they crossed the border, um, they were accosted and dragged away. And we don't know their fate. Um, what does that say about U.S.-Mexico relations? And should Americans be going to Mexico right now? Well, that's the best question. And the answer is really easy. Absolutely not. If you're listening to this and you're planning on going to Mexico, don't go. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, go, to, go to Miami. Go to Puerto Rico. Go to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Go somewhere in the Caribbean that doesn't have a, a, a kidnapping and a murder every day. We've had to help, uh, I don't know, two, uh, two or three different um, people from our district that had uh, run-ins with uh, fake law enforcement or had... Uh, have been assaulted um, in Mexico. So, like, just don't go. Uh, and it's, it's because the rule of law does not exist in Mexico. And honestly, it's probably one of the main reasons that we have such a problem at our southern border, because when you can't call 911 uh, and 
have somebody come and help you out of a bad situation when you don't have running water, when you don't have um, the safety and security that we have here, that we, that we take for granted here? Well, sorry, we used to have here. We have it in Greenville and Spartanburg. They don't really have it in D.C. <laughs> uh, right. You want to come to the United States. That's what makes this country great. And, um, yeah, don't go to Mexico, period. Well, I think, you know, I, I know people that go to Acapulco, for example, and they'll say, well, these are closed resorts. So as long as you stay in the resort, you're safe. But you have to get there. I mean, you've got to travel. They don't land the plane inside the resort. Uh, you've got to travel to get there. And then most people are not just going to stay within the walls of the property. They're going to get out and move around. And I think that puts them at risk. So well, Doctor Dean, there was a there was a thousand dollar a night resort outside of Cancun, and uh, a bunch of gunmen went in there, killed six or eight people. This was within the last year or two. So I don't like that answer either. Just yeah. don't go. Go yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and while we're on the topic, if you have a passport and you plan on traveling, check the date. Um, we are having major problems uh, with uh, the State Department getting passports renewed. We can generally do it fairly quickly, but. Um, just for awareness, you have to have six months left uh, on your passport after your return date. So uh, a lot of people don't realize that. So wow. renew your passport. It does take a while. Final question. Um, it appears that Russia is starting to make some gains in Bakhmut because of the number of troops that they're putting into the battle. Uh, where are we with Ukraine and Russia and the war and our support of the Ukrainian troops? And, I mean, is there... Is there any plan about bringing this thing to a conclusion? Is the plan for Russia to be totally defeated? Uh, what, what's your view? So, Dr. it's honestly an extremely complicated issue. Uh, Dan Crenshaw is a friend of mine. He did a, 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 a debate with um, uh, William Ruger of the Cato Institute. And if you go to his podcast, um, Dan Crenshaw's podcast, uh, that was most recent, I think a couple of days ago, it's the best explanation I've heard. Okay. Long story short, it's we still have $40 billion that have been um, authorized, and the president does not need Congress to vote to uh, spend those, um, so spend that money. So I'm not sure there's going to be support for more spending. If there is, it's, it's going to have to be limited, uh, and it's going to be very, very strategic. And honestly, we're going to have to get – more buy-in from our European allies. I hate that that's the answer, but um, that is that is my view as of now. You know, I, it, to me, it just seems like we either need to load them up with whatever weapon systems they need to win this thing, or we need to back off. You know, this is beginning to look like other situations where the United States has been, and when we're not all in, we don't win. I think you have to get, and I'm not talking about sending troops, but I, I think you, if you're going to give them weapons, give them what's necessary to defeat the enemy so that they can wrap this thing up because it, it could drag on for years. But anyway, Congressman, thank you. It's, all, yeah, it's, it's always a great pleasure to have you on the program. We appreciate our conversations. God bless you. You have a good week. Good to be with you.